We send people to very difficult and distant spots, small footprint, only a few docs, few medical personnel. Telemedicine allows them to reach back and tap into that medical center, that tertiary facility for consultation, for expert opinions and things like that. Welcome to War Docs, the military medicine podcast. This show brings you a firsthand, behind-the-scenes look into the mission, unique opportunities, and deployed experiences of the entire military healthcare team. From state-of-the-art hospitals in the United States to the most austere environments across the globe, War Docs has you covered. WarDocs partnered with the Defense Strategies Institute and had the opportunity to interview several key and influential leaders at the 2023 Operational Medicine Symposium. We discussed the current operational environment and what military medicine is currently doing to improve warfighter health, strength, and survivability, and what needs to happen to prepare for the future. In this episode, you'll learn about the latest innovations and opportunities to advance the practice of medicine in expeditionary environments. Today, we're uh, privileged to welcome Dr. Jonathan Jaffin. He's a general surgeon. He's also a retired colonel in the Army Medical Corps. Tell us what you're currently doing, John. I'm currently with Deloitte Consulting. I'm a specialist executive with them, which means I do a wide variety of healthcare consulting, mainly across federal health, so to the VA, military health system, but also some with state and local governments and some with commercial clients as well. have been recently very involved with social determinants of health and how do you use them to better deliver health care across a state, community, or even the nation. So we're currently here at the Operational Medicine Symposium. Why do you think a symposium like this is important and what brought you here? So one of the things I really like about this symposium is the emphasis on operational medicine, on how do we take better care of soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, when they're deployed, when they're under harm's way, and how do we advance it so that the care they receive in these austere environments is really the same quality as the care they might receive in the very best hospitals in the U.S. So we talked a little bit about in this meeting about how we're transferring to it maybe a different contingency in the future. So Iraq, Afghanistan, a lot of counterinsurgency type things, air superiority. And now we're talking about something different, you know, maybe a large scale ground combat operations where we may not have those same things. What do you think are the most pressing issues with operational medicine now? I think with a near peer con competitor, we can't count on air superiority. In Afghanistan, Iraq, we were able to evacuate people rapidly and get them to the very best care in very short periods of time. We might have to hold people, wounded soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, in austere conditions for a length of time. How do we prolong that? How do we make sure that their condition doesn't deteriorate, that they don't experience significant health consequences from that delay? So I think that's probably the one of the biggest things to face in a near-peer environment. The other thing with a near-peer the operation, the number of casualties is going to be huge and could easily overwhelm not just our deployed assets, but our assets back home. Right. 
And so I, I remain very, very concerned about that and how, as a nation, we're going to accept large numbers of casualties, true triage of casualties, so that some may be expectant, some may be delayed in their care because we're trying to maximize utility. And that's a, that's a horribly tough situation and a horrible situation to be in. You know, at this meeting, there's a lot of cool new technology and innovative thoughts about what to do in the future. Is there anything that has sparked your interest or surprised you? I really enjoyed the panel discussion with Dr. Line led with where the Corps Chief from the Nurse Corps of the Air Force and the Specialist Corps Chief from the Army talked about some of the challenges that they face in terms of maintaining readiness preparing for a near-peer sort of conflict, helping people understand not just the trauma to the individuals who are in combat, but the trauma to the caregivers. And how do you make people more resilient, better able to withstand that trauma, better able to understand what's going on and how they make, can make decisions that are much more difficult than anything they've faced before. When you've got limited resources, limited time, and you've got an overwhelming number of casualties, which ones do you care for? How do you care for them? How do you maximize your efficiency? But that means hurting somebody. So those are, those are tough situations. That's one of the things that really I thought was well covered in the conference and really enjoyed hearing about. So both of us, I would say, we're seasoned. We got some gray hair, and we train. <laughs> we're both surgeons. You're a general surgeon. I'm a urologist. We train in a day where you did general surgery, and you did general surgery. That's kind of from head to toe, and you did a lot of open operations, and you were used to kind of things that you might see in combat. Today, with the subspecializations and robots, minimally invasive surgery, that's the standard of care. How do we make sure that surgeons are ready to do things that they're not used to doing every day. That's one of the real problems currently facing surgeons, especially general surgeons. What they're asked to do downrange in a conflict is very different than what they do day to day. And we would do a big open aorta. Now you do stents up the iliac arteries. We would do big abdominal procedure and resection. Now it's all done laparoscopically or robotically. And so you have to be comfortable doing those big procedures. So it's important that you maintain those skills. Now, how do you do that? And that's one of the problems. Fortunately, still, when you do trauma rotations, you still do a lot of big open procedures. And so rotating military docs in civilian trauma centers, like BAMC is part of the civilian trauma center here in San Antonio, those are good ways to do it and really make a difference in terms of making people comfortable doing big surgeries without a lot of preparation in a hurry to save a life. I, I know that you've got a lot of experience with telemedicine, teleconsultation. Where do you see that going in the future and how can that be leveraged to help care at those far forward areas? I think telemedicine is going to really revolutionize a lot of that. So we don't have a lot of neurosurgeons in the military. So 
if you've got somebody with an epidural bleed, it falls on the general surgeon usually to do that. How do you help that general surgeon get talked through that complex procedure? Telemedicine. How do you avoid the evacuation if you're constrained because you've got so many casualties that they're filling up the aircraft? You don't want to have to send somebody back because they've got a rash that you can't diagnose. So you take a picture of it. Telemedicine gives you the answer because the best dermatologists in the country or in the service can look at that picture, give you an answer, give you a treatment plan, spare that evacuation. So those are just two of the very many ways that I think telemedicine is going to make a difference. We spend a lot of time moving behavioral specialists, just moving to cover a wide area. Telemedicine, that behavioral specialist can spend that time providing consultation, not in their car driving from one place to another. Again, another great use of it. We send people to very difficult and distant spots. Small footprint, only a few docs, few medical personnel. Telemedicine allows them to reach back and tap into that medical center, that tertiary facility for consultation, for expert opinions and things like that. So that's another great use of it. So I know that you spent part of your career in the office of the Surgeon General. And so sometimes I, in my mind, uh, maybe I'm strange, but I, I picture a scenario where the chief of staff of the Army, Air Force, or Navy is talking to the Surgeon General and is explaining what they are expecting to see on the battlefield of the future. And they ask the Surgeon General, are we ready for that? How do we know that we're ready? What kind of metrics should we be using? Can we define it? So I think one of the biggest things that our, our military medicine does in general is prepare people to be ready to deploy. Civilian sector doesn't have that mission. Civilian sectors on providing great medical care at the lowest possible cost. Military medicine has that added mission of not just making sure everybody's ready to go deploy, but making sure our providers are ready to practice in that austere environment. One of the projects we've been working on is called the KSA project, Knowledge, Skills, and Abilities. And with that, we asked people who deployed and spent a good bit of time in combat situations, what skills were really needed in that combat situation to practice their specialty. And then from that, we honed it and came up with a list of procedures. We then matched that either using the RUC steps, which are the steps that the AMA and groups like that use to assign RVUs and RWP values to procedures, or we said X number of procedures and X amount of time, depends on the specialty. But now which procedures stateside give you that sort of experience. So if it's be familiar with the retroperitoneal structures, if you treat somebody with a bad vena cable injury or something like that, you're going to get that familiarity. Right. So that it's a corresponding sort of thing. Some of them you're not going to get stateside. So care of enemy prisoners of war. Well, it's not right. something we do. Care of, how do you take care of somebody with unexploded ordnance in them? 
So we work and devise tests as well for the knowledge of how to do that. Some of them, we skills and abilities you demonstrate or things like that. Some of it you just need knowledge and familiarity with. So what, what do we do when we find a healthcare professional just can't make the score that we say, this is the baseline score? The question of deployment is a commander's decision. Commander decides somebody's ready to deploy or not ready to deploy. Medical department can inform that commander and help provide, but it's in the end, it's the commander decides right. who goes. One of the things we do is we can actually figure out which domains somebody has gaps in. And based on those gaps, can structure training either at a civilian trauma center, at a military trauma center, try and get bigger cases. We can rate the cases and look at which cases are going downtown and see what we can do to help recapture those cases. But that combination can look at and say, this individual needs this remedial training, right. whether it's testing, whether it's procedures, whether it's a rotation at another facility, and can tailor it specifically to that individual. Now, I think if you told a pilot 50 years ago that we could put you in a box and make it so real that it was like you're flying a plane and actually maybe even more stressful than flying a real plane, they probably would have laughed at you. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to a lot of surgeons who are kind of the same way now. They say, there's a lot of simulation out there, but it just is not like the real thing. How close are we to that pilot? We, we aren't there yet, especially in the, the, what they call the haptics, the feel. Right. But if you want to do like an instrument in a thing, or you're doing it robotically or laparoscopically, you can almost not tell the difference. And so those, in those things, I think we are close. The big procedures were not close yet, but when I look at the last 10 years, the last 20 years, the advances that have been made are phenomenal. And I can see us before I die being very much understanding that this simulation can train somebody, can teach somebody, can make somebody ready. And so we may have some younger listeners who are thinking about coming into the military and being in the medical field or maybe just starting out. What advice would you, would you give them? I loved my military career. Yeah, I probably wasn't the most highly paid member of my med school class, but I have great friends, great experiences. I got a great experience, relatively young, a lot of experience where I was on my own and had to make my own decisions, which was incredibly maturing as an individual and as a physician. So shortly after residency, I went to Honduras. There were two of us there. We trained together. We were the general surgeons. Right. People came to us for questions. When we had questions, yeah, you could try and get on the phone, but right. this was pre-cell phone days. So it was, it was a few years ago. So it made me a better able to trust myself, to trust my training, to trust my colleagues that I was with. And we ended up doing really well. So I think that's one of the advantages of a military career. The folks you work with in the military are wonderful. And 
some of my closest friends are folks I served with, and there's nothing that can replace that. So uh, that's the other reason I think it's a great thing for anybody to do. Plus, you feel good because you've really helped your nation. You've helped this country, which we all owe so much to. You've helped it be better, too. We've been speaking with Dr. Jonathan Jaffin on Wardock's podcast. John, thanks for your time. Doug, thank you. This has been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Wardock's. We sure hope you enjoyed it. Wardocs is a nonprofit organization supported by donations from listeners like you. Please follow and subscribe to our show on whatever platform you consume your podcasts and rate and review this episode and share the show with your contacts on social media. Find out more information about our show, our guests, and how to become a member of Team Wardocs on wardocspodcast.com. Thank you for your support. If you like war stories and medical drama, Wardocs has you covered. Spread the word.